You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Hello and welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. Sorry guys for the break in between podcasts. It's been a sweet month that's passed by. We did plan on bringing you one fortnightly as is usually the plan, but um, we kind of tapped out. Sometimes life happens. I think Carissa and I every year have just these amazing intentions of the podcast being super frequent, super organized. We've talked about it before, but at the end of the day, like the the clinic and our clients always come number one and we get to a Friday and we're just like, yeah, nah. (laughs) And we want to give you guys the best of us, right? So (laughs) yeah. And I think that's it. Like, I think we probably average maybe one podcast a year each where we tap out and we're like, I'm not fucking feeling it today. I just... I don't have it. That was so the last one was my fault, team. Everyone listening, I literally messaged Jess at eight o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, I'm "Not doing a podcast today." <laughs> <laughs> literally, like, like can't be fucked. I think <laughs> tap, just tapped out. Sometimes they were like, "We'll feel the waters with each other, and like we can pull the other one over." You can see that there's a little mm-hmm. bit of like, "If you tap out, I'll tap out." But yeah, once in a blue moon, there's a light. Nah, I'm gone. See ya. <laughs> I'm just not even entertaining the idea of welcoming any sort of negotiation here. I'm not fucking doing one. (laughs) And we do, the thing is, guys, we love doing this. Like we do really love it, but it's, it's a lot of energy to bring at the end of the week. And we want to make sure we're sharing something that's enjoyable content, um, so yeah, we've got to we've got to make sure we're bringing it to the table. We don't want to half. We don't do things yeah. half ass. We're like fully. We don't in. do things. Hundred <laughs> percent. We don't do things half ass. And you're exactly right. We do like to bring our Friday A game to the table, and we want it to be enjoyable, and we want it to be educational and somewhat entertaining. I've had quite a few messages about our last one where I think I went a bit rogue with the fucking f bombs. <laughs> Did you? I I did warn a few people. Yeah, I know. I got I got a few messages. Oh, they would have loved um, it. You didn't get anyone. All positive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, all positive. All positive. But yeah, it was funny. I forgot. I think it's been a while since I've had a good, you know, rant on a podcast where I'm just like, <laughs> fuck this, fuck that. <laughs> so, anyway, this one, this one won't be as this one won't be as passionate. I like, well, it will be, but just in other yeah. ways. So, guys, so, today's podcast is going to be really really interesting and I'm excited for it because we've wanted to do this for a while so Chris is actually going to share her own personal health story but particularly pertaining to the last 12 months in relation to what she's been doing with her hormones Um, of course when we say 12 months like anytime we talk about health it goes beyond 12 months there's a like backstory to this but the, the, the past 12 months there's been a lot she's been doing and we've been talking for like pretty much probably since you started, I think you raised the the option for us to bring this to the podcast and we've mm. talked about it and touched base at certain points. And again, it needed to be a time when you were ready to do it. 
Um, and today's yeah. the day. Today's the day. Today is the day. Um, yeah. So I guess I think I've got two podcasts I really want to do. This one we're going to do today. I am, and I keep meaning to pop a post up on social media about this. I really want to do a podcast on my pain journey yes, as well. Yes, yes, um, yes. Off because I just feel like that's a whole space on its own. And this week, I w- I've had a bit of like an emotional week. Um, this week in the sense that I am so excited to say that I am back to my pre-injury weights in the gym oh. and my pre-injury training. Um, so nice to hear. I know. I, yeah. So I kind of like, again, I really want to talk. I want to talk about that space and what a fucking ordeal yeah. and journey that has been to work in that space and how much I've learned about myself, about pain management, about the importance of having a team, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> it's a teaser. <laughs> it's a teaser. Um, but, yeah, like I had a few like a little emotional moments in the gym over the last sort of, you know, yeah, 10 days where I've just been like, fuck, it has been a journey to get here. Yeah. Um, but tying in all of that is my other stuff that I've been working on behind the scenes, which is my estrogen space, which I think anyone – who follows us, has listened to our podcast, has, um, you know, obviously knows my absolute unwavering passion for the hormone space and estrogen and androgen detox and just everything in that space. But um, yeah, I've done some really, really cool work in this space with myself. Personally, I work in this space with clients a lot, but you know, I love it when I do things myself because it just, you know, re, you know, well, not that I ever lose faith in our space, but it just really drives home like the importance Mm. of what, what we do and why we do it, but also how amazing our functional testing is. Um, Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about that because I think everyone who has probably been a bit more of, you know, an OG listener knows that ages ago um, I did a Dutch test probably, Gosh, I've got the original one up here. Let me just tell you guys when that was. That was. I think you and I did those together. I think. We did. Both of our cortisol was fast. I remember that because we were laughing. Laughed at it hardcore. Laughed about it hardcore. And then I actually think I went through a burnout stage, which I probably should have paid more attention. My our original, our original Dutch testing, we did do it around the same time as 2017. So five years ago. Um, maybe six years ago, coming closer to six. Yeah. Looking at the dates there, but, um, yeah. So original Dutch test showed that I, I did produce a lot of four hydroxy estrogen. And I remember talking about that on podcasts, but also with my clients and on the Instagram space, um, just in the context of, you know, like I, my body doesn't deal with estrogen well, um, it produces beautiful testosterone. I mean, sorry, testosterone, progesterone. So progesterone is not my issue. Um, issue. I just am more estrogen driven and how I detox estrogen. Um, there's a lot of, you know, phase one and phase two liver detox issues there. But I think the thing, and it's probably just me being a little bit, um, you know, not, not even naive, but just when you just kind of a little bit self-assured at the time, I was like, well, my estrogen behaves badly but I don't have a breast cancer or estrogen cancer risk in my family. Mm-hmm. So therefore I did do a lot of the work. Um, I didn't retest at all because I, I have faith in what we do and what's needed to support those pathways. Um, and I just didn't retest. So I kind of would dive in and out of the estrogen detox space. I was always on, I always maintain some level of baseline support for phase two detox I didn't stay a lot in the phase one detox space maybe dipped in and out of it once in a year but I never really retested and then 
Um, in August last year, my mum's sister was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and it wasn't estrogen. I can't remember the exact one she's eat, but it wasn't estrogen, um, estrogen receptor cancer. So that obviously anyone who understands the estrogen space, and I'm happy to obviously elaborate a little bit, but if you have a genetic risk for estrogen-based cancers, and if it's immediate family, so either like siblings, mother, or maternal siblings, maternal family, like is that the way you say that? Like so my mum's sister, it it does mean you should definitely be more aware of your own risks and associations with those types of cancers and when I say that I mean obviously breast cancers prostate cancers for guys is also something I think we I space that I would really love to start talking about in relation to estrogen um but yeah and ovarian cancer as well and things like that so there's a lot that happens in our little estrogen progesterone space that um we're learning to understand so we're starting to understand a bit more in depth. And I think this is why I love our space so much because there's just not a lot of mainstream information around about what women can do in the preventative space for breast cancer mm-hmm. or estrogen cancer risk um, if you have one. And this is obviously something that I work in and love um, a lot. But for us to get, for, for us as a collective, obviously, to have a breast cancer diagnosis so close to home was a bit of a fucking for sure. alarm bell. So, Can I just ask, yeah. around that time too, where you had the family member with that diagnosis, how, how were you feeling in your own skin and your own health with your hormones? Because obviously five or six mm. years ago, repeating, like doing the first Dutch like I know you and I did that for our own reasons and if anything, like always as practitioners, there's a curiosity and mm. just knowing how the test works. But I'm at the time, you know, you, you did this test again. Were you generally happy with how things were going with your hormones? Like there wasn't yeah. any sort of kind of classic symptoms that were going on? No, like I think this is, and I think this is what I've always talked about with the reason I'm so thankful I did the Mm. first Dutch test is because my period is a very atypical period. Mm -hmm. Like I get it every, you know, I have the odd month where she's, you know, you know, late or early, but like, I'm going to say 80 to 90% of the time, my period is 28 days. I ovulate on day 14. I get beautiful signs of ovulation. I'm very aware of it. My period itself, um, you know, my PMS, like my luteal phase can be a bit of a bitch if I'm not looking after my stress. No. And I can be a bit of a bitch if I'm not looking <laughs> um, But like, I'm going to say like apart from, and I'm going to talk about the breast health space as well when we get in this, but like I would say for someone, the, you know, the everyday person who is doing a hormonal checklist, my period is not something I, you would really flag mm. as something to be concerned about. And I think that's what I really want to raise mm-hmm. in this as well is that this can sometimes be why our testing is so fucking valuable. Um, but no, like every 28 days I bleed for <laughs> – fuck, maybe a day and a half. It's not overly heavy. It's not overly cloddy. It's that nice red color that we look for. It tapers off by three to four days, rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so definitely I was pretty, I'm pretty and have been, you know, I'm pretty happy with my hormone space. I'm very conscious, yeah, of my luteal phase because I know that that's probably more like the PMS symptoms are the things I spend more time working with. Um, and that's in terms of like energy, mood, anxiety, 
um, and all of that. But again, pretty well managed. Mm. Hey, like I wouldn't say, you know, I was, I was having any of the symptoms that I would have, you know, could attribute back to some of the things I would have in my twenties. Um, I'm definitely onto my breast health. Um, and this was before a breast cancer risk purely because I do have fibrocystic breast breasts and breast tissue. Um, I recently had had an ultrasound actually of my breast tissue before my aunt was diagnosed with breast cancer purely because after my COVID vaccinations, my breasts swelled up and they didn't, and it wasn't related to my cycle and they were a lot more cystic for three months. Um, so I went back to my GP mm-hmm. and I said, look, this isn't normal for me. I want to have another breast ultrasound. I've had one a couple of years ago. It was fine, but blah, blah, blah. Had that done. Um, all good. And even at the time, my GP, she said, you do have very cystic breasts first, you know, blah, blah. But she's like, but you have no breast cancer risk. So there's really nothing to be concerned about. However, I would recommend repeat ultrasounds every two years. Mm -hmm. And if there's ever any cause for concern, we might chat about mammograms earlier for you. So that was really proactive of her. I was really Mm. happy with that. Um, but then of course, like my aunt got the breast cancer diagnosis, estrogen, um, receptor positive, BRCA negative as well, which I think, I think she did get checked about. We don't have any BRCA genes in our family. I think a few people have done that, um, but I'm not hundred percent confident if she was, cause she opted not to have any further testing done and not to go down the chemo road. Um, so I don't have a heap more information about the actual type of cancer, breast cancer that she had. Um, but anyway, so yeah. So then fast forward, I, that was August last year. Life just got busy, got to January this year, and I thought, well, I better do a, I better do a hormone test mm-hmm. and have a look mm-hmm. <laughs> and see what my estrogen's doing. Because even though, as we know, things sound and feel very well managed, I am aware that I've had 4-hydroxyestrogen, you know, in the past. And for anyone that's new to our space um, and hasn't listened to myself and Jess, and even when we did that podcast with, podcast with Dr. Carrie Jones talk about 4-hydroxyestrogen, this is the um, estrogen metabolite that you want to be careful of and you want to be aware of um, if you have um, any sort of cancer risk um, in your family. So, um, yeah, so I went back and did a HUMAP test um and that came back do you want to just and it explain was a, sorry to interrupt but just you've yes. been talking dutch 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 and people are like like what what do you mean yeah just a humap cool. just yeah just briefly what you mean by doing a humap yeah cool so a humap is a test very similar to a dutch where it does look at again urinary metabolites um there's a couple of differences the humap test um also does your neurotransmitter metabolites as well it has a whole separate panel so it is a little bit more expensive the at the neurotransmitter test has been around for ages but the addition of the humap to it is quite new so i want to talk about that in relation to the dutch test which is an older or test that's been around longer and definitely has better refined parameters so i understand that being a newer test um, it's a bit, not never a risk doing it, but I understand there will be over the next 12 to 18 months with any test, you know, a refining of metabolites, parameters, testing methodologies and things like that. But I still wanted to do it anyway, because it, um, it is a really reputable test. Um, it's a, it's a wet urine test as opposed to a dried urine test. The Dutch is dried urine. It's a very similar, um, very similar testing method in the sense that you're doing you know four four separate you know urine tests over the space of 24 hours so we can accurately gauge a 24-hour cortisol picture as well and what that what it gives us very similar to the dutch or pretty much the same as the dutch is your breakdown of your you know your metabolites of your androgens estrogens progesterones how they are going through your phase one and phase two detox and then also your cortisol as well so very similar test to the dutch test just a newer one on the market um 
yeah. Cool. So I did that <laughs> and it was a bit of a shit show, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was a slap in the face, <laughs> as it always <laughs> <What>? is. <laughs> Why? Um, it was actually, I laugh about it now, but I was, I was, I really had to do some big self talks mm. when I got these test results back because, um, my 4-hydroxy estrogen was pretty high. 16-hydroxy um, was fine. It's always fine for me. But I think, you know, the big slap in the face for me was a marker called 8-OHDG or 8-hydroxy-2-deoxyguanosine, which I've learned to say very fucking well in the last couple of months. Um, <laughs> Um, but that marker is a marker we do not want to see high. So out of like, I, I, you know, I've done it hundreds upon hundreds of Dutch tests. I, I've stepped into the humap space and I definitely can say I've done a considerable amount of these this year as well. And I am quite confident in the humap test as a test. Um, I do feel like it's a little bit more sensitive than the Dutch test and whether that's going to come down to refining, you know, parameters, as I was mentioning before, or the fact that it is just purely more sensitive. But an 8-OHDG marker is a marker that starts to become elevated when DNA damage is starting to occur from inflammatory metabolites. Now, it's not just specific to to estrogen, although estrogen is heavily researched. Mm. So your four hydroxy estrogen. So when we're talking about cancers, stages of cancer progression, we're looking at inflammation, DNA damage, cell changes, and then cell changes potentially leading into some sort of precancerous and then cancerous cell division. So so 8-OHDG is a very well-researched marker if you're anyone who wants to go in and look at it in response to not just, you know, breast cancer, but stomach cancer, um, precursors for other markers like, you know, um, cardiovascular disease and stuff like that, PubMed and and all of our big companies. I have spent a lot of time looking at this. It is a, it is a well-researched mm-hmm. marker, which I've actually learned a lot about, but also something, again, mainstream testing is not looking at. Um, for people that have different risks for different things beyond, you know, breast cancers and ovarian cancers and things like that. But mine was high. So, and the highest I've ever seen out of the hundreds of Dutch tests and, you know, a few HUMAT tests that I've now started doing, but yeah, it was, it was pretty fucking scary Mm. to get that back. Um, So comparatively, you know, on a on a Dutch test, I think the cutoff reference range for an 8-OHDG is up to 5.2, um, so 0, 0.3 to 5.2. Um, the HUMAP test has got a slightly different, I'm just going to go down and find it, is a slightly different reference range. It's a little bit broader. So their reference range is, where is it? Do, 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 do. Their reference range is 0 through to 7.5, so slightly more, but they actually have a bit more of an intermediate space. Um, so my 80HDG was 8.67. So I am I am up, I'm getting up there. Now, the thing, the thing that probably was hard for me to get my head around was when you step into the research about, because obviously I'm just like, right, okay, how stressed out do I need to be right now? Um, you know, with this marker being elevated and, you know, so it was really hard for me to draw a correlation from research because I think research um, and different research into different stages of cancer and stuff are looking more at not risk factors, but actual, you know, cancer 
progression. Um, anyway, it was hard for me to draw like a line where how safe my parameter mm. was. So I had to just come to peace with that and go, well, I don't actually have a definitive have how much damage is going on here, but all I can really do now is just try and get mm-hmm. this little fucker back into place. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what I did. Um, and for context, yes, Rissy, every- like, you know, you're talking about obviously doing hundreds of Dutch tests over the years as a practitioner. Like if you had to put a percentage on how often this marker is out of range, what would you mm-hmm. say? Because I know for me with Dutch tests, I don't do as – I do Dutch testing for sure, but not to the level – of frequency that you do with your clients given how much you work with hormones but I I know it's not a large percentage um but yeah I'm curious if you had to put like a percentage out of 100 how frequently it would pop up less than five yeah 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 so that's really yeah yeah just to give people an idea of like how like infrequent this is yeah Exactly. And I think that's what, and just not how infrequent it was, like with what I have seen when it is high normal or out of reference range for me to get a reading back that was higher than anything I've ever yes, seen yep. was a fucking slap in the face, yep. like um, in a big way for someone too. like, and I think this was the, you know, the mental and psycho- or psychological battle that I then had was how much more do I have to do yeah, with my health? Yeah, I remember us like, talking you know, about like, that fucking so frustrating because I do have this conversation with my clients like I already I know that you know I I I I have led a a pretty loose lifestyle in my late teens and 20s but and there's no denying that but so did the majority of people I was probably I was probably a little bit wilder Mm -hmm. than most and I'm not I'm not here to dispute that but what I'm saying is, is that for someone who lives a pretty fucking clean lifestyle now like if you if we were to look at what the World Health Organization or Nutrition Australia or all of these, you know, massive governing bodies dictate for parameters of how to look out after yourself and prevent disease, I would say in the clinic and the majority of our clients go above and beyond. Yeah. We are not sitting in that, we are not sitting in the 80% of mainstream population. We're sitting in the top 10% mm-hmm. or 20% of the more you know, dedicated, like we do well, like we move up, like, you know, I'll speak for myself, not everyone else, obviously, but I eat a pretty clean diet. I don't have refined sugar. I have a pretty good, you know, I move my body every day. I manage my stress. I'm not eating, you know, like I just look at all that I take good quality supplements. Mm. I, you know, I just, for me, it was like, well, if this is what that gets me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then what the fuck else do I have yeah. to do? Like, this is crazy without me becoming, you know, what we talked about in that podcast where healthy eating goes too far, mm-hmm. where you have to, you know, stress about every little fucking molecule of fucking oxygen you're breathing. <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> what else have I got to do? But anyway, so there was there was a couple of weeks of this internal debate of frustration and, you know, this isn't fair and... <laughs> yeah, rightly <laughs> which, so. Which I... Rightly so, yeah. and but I had to rein all that in and go, well, it's not fair, but a lot of things aren't fair for a lot of people, so get the fuck over that, Carissa. <laughs> but also um, you also are in the best possible position with your toolkit mm-hmm. and your knowledge base to to fix this. If anyone can do this, you can, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what I ha- where I sort of settled after, you know, some ups and downs mentally 
um, over, you know, a couple of weeks of just get your fucking shit together, rein some shit in and work on Mm -hmm. this, which is what I did. (laughs) So um, I kind of, so yeah. So if you didn't, do you think there's anything else I need to elaborate on that before I kind of went into what I, what I did? No, no. I think get into, yeah, exactly that next, what you did. And I think there'll probably be a few things there that I'd be keen to elaborate on. Hi guys, just a quick note to let you know, we are now offering $10 off my cookbook Eat for JCN podcast listeners only. So there is a new discount code you can use, JCN podcast, all one word in capital letters. Head to the website, the link is in the show notes and you just use that coupon code at checkout and that will give you $10 off. Really excited to bring you this. It's a way for us to say thank you for listening to the podcast. And again, that is JCN podcast, all one word, head to the website, link in the show notes. Yeah, cool. So um, so I, I kind of sat down and wrote a list of things that could be, you know, because obviously we're looking at oxidative stress, right? So I sat down and wrote myself a list of all the things that I'm potentially or was still doing or being around or anything like that, that obviously drives up oxidative stress in the body. So I wrote out a list. Um, Coffee was in there, (laughs) unfortunately, but it was. Coffee was in there. Alcohol was in there. Um, Xenoestrogens was in there. Um, You know, uh, eating organically all the time. You know, I just wrote a list of things that could be contributing to this. Mm -hmm. So what I kind of did was then go, okay, well, let's be real about this. I'm not giving up coffee at the moment unless unless something comes back that I have to, but I can I can put pull my foot off the accelerator. Yep. Like I love coffee. I drink too much of it. I do run it at a, as a at a high functioning pace Monday to Friday when I'm working. Like weekends are different. I'm a lot more fucking chill, but I am an adrenaline junkie during the week. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> And we unfortunately um, have a clinic really close to Noosa Chocolate Factory that does yeah. really good coffees and hot chocolates and mockers <laughs> I know I know so the the afternoon coffee for me had had definitely snuck back in so coffee was something I thought right I can take my foot off the accelerator so that was that was an easy one I just stuck to my morning coffees um alcohol was something that I really I really had to have a serious mm. conversation with myself about um I don't think I'm a big well at the time like I didn't think I was a big drinker <laughs> But I love having a drink. Uh, there's no, there's no denying that mm. on my end. I absolutely like. I love having beers on the weekend. I love sitting in the sun and having beers. I love having cocktails. Um, and I think you know. But I definitely probably push the envelope a bit. And um, so I thought, right, well, that's another thing you mm. can take the foot off the accelerator. Sure. With. And we had some big family stuff going on at the time, which was you know kind of a bit of a, you know another reason to do it as well like um so for me it wasn't you know as much as <laughs> like I don't want to break out with my weekend <laughs> I really I I really reined it in like I had a couple of weeks where I just didn't drink at all I think I did like maybe four to six weeks where I just was like fuck it I was 
have a good sort of detox from it. And then I just tried to stick under like, you know, the four to six standard drinks on the weekend. So mm-hmm. just having a couple of beers if I, or just more being a social drinker, like if you, if I was going somewhere. So I maintained that really well for a couple of months as well. Definitely no drinking during the week, which I have always been pretty strict about, but it loosens up <laughs> from time to time. So I got back into that, <laughs> you know, no more coming home and just having a glass of wine at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I just reined all that shit right in. Um, so that was a big one. Um, I think we talked about this in another podcast, but even just like the refined vegetable oils in things. Mm. Um, and again, not me not being a total Nazi about it, but they had definitely crept in across the board in my life in the forms of, you know, my almond milk in my coffee when I'm buying my coffee out, just different things that I was buying in, you know, packets now as opposed to before I was making them myself or just Mm -hmm. opting not to buy them. So I cleaned that space up. I didn't, again, didn't go 100%, just dialed it back to something that was a little bit more you know, reasonable mm. as opposed to, oh, well, you know, who gives a fuck? Um, and then the other stuff was more like my exposure to things um, from a diet and lifestyle point of view. So I had definitely not let things slip, but just with moving around a lot over the last couple of years, I hadn't settled back into, you know, an organic butcher properly, going to the Northern Street markets. So a lot of my food had definitely wasn't as spray-free or organic as it could be. So I, again, I'm not a high, still not 100% with that, but if I was sitting at 50-50, I'd say I'm now sitting back at 80-20. Um, so I really cleaned that space up. Um, I did my environmental stuff with like the xenoestrogens in terms of like I know I moved into Mix House last year and he had a lot of those synthetic candle fragrances mm-hmm. and plug, you know, just things. I got rid of all of those. I changed all of our, you know, um, body products back over. Um, a lot of this stuff was half there, but mm. I just let it slide yeah. over a couple of years. So it was just me going in and going, okay, I'm, ne- I'm never going to be a hundred percent. We all know that I'm an 80 percent. Yeah. <laughs> But I just reset the benchmark for the 80% in all the areas mm. is probably what I did. Um, and, yeah, and it was good. Like I, it was just a bit of like a um, like a life cleanup, mm-hmm. right, like mm-hmm. a life admin sort of cleanup. So it was really good. So I did all of that. Um, the other thing which I'm still really struggling with is my BMI, obviously, and I want to talk this in relation to internal oxidative stress processes and stuff like that in regards to insulin and cortisol, um, my BMI, and I know BMI is just a very small part of it, but I definitely am a female who easily carries weight around the middle mm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and my BMI sits for my weight and my height. I actually sit and I sit in the, just in the overweight range, mm-hmm. um, which I know BMI, I don't put a lot of merit in it, but I definitely could have lost, a, I definitely could have lost a couple of kilos. Like I definitely put a couple of kilos on through the COVID space and that had just pushed me to the other side. I've always sat at the top end mm-hmm. of the healthy range and now I was sitting just in the overweight range. So I thought, okay, well, you could definitely lose a couple of kilos, like, you know, just and that's really hard for someone who's not like, even though BMI says overweight, but I don't yeah, believe sure. I'm overweight. Well, that also ties like, into not... to like not that we'll talk about today, but in the aspects of mm. everything going on for you, like you mentioned at the start about wanting to talk another time about the the pain experience, which is a whole nother journey. Yeah, but you were fundamentally been a big yeah, of years. right. <laughs> like you were being very challenged in your ability to move your body as much as you wanted to move and to do the the exercise that you want to do. So it's really interesting hearing you talk through all these elements. It's like that was another layer that was going on that was then like leading to you to gain Mm. a little bit of extra weight that you were feeling. So it's like, you know, another thing that was kind of um, slowly 
going on like as far as like even like not having Mm -hmm. control over something like that as well yeah and I think that and I've talked about this with a lot of my clients like it is it is hard for peri like us girls in perimenopause to lose weight especially when we don't have a lot of weight to lose Mm -hmm. um so you know um yeah and exactly right like i didn't want to gain a couple of kilos, but it was purely due to my ability to not be able to move my body in the way that I, I do mm. or am now, um, you know, that was a massive, you know, dictator of that as well. I'm frustrating as fuck, mm-hmm. but, yep. <laughs> but, you know, so I set myself a goal of, right, right. You just need to try and get back down to, for me, my healthy weight, where I just sit on the, in, on the upper end of the healthy weight range is 65 kilos. And I was probably sitting around 69, um, so I, I, I went into, you know, I just got back into tracking and even though I couldn't do it, I still couldn't do a lot of exercise at the time, but I was more mobile than what I had been for the last two years. I just made a commitment. I'm just like, right, you just, you know, you just, and it, it's been a slow burn. Like mm-hmm. I'm now sitting at 66 kilos. So just to give everyone context, it has taken me nine months to lose three kilos mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Because for me and for a lot of females, um, you know, like I can't drop my calories low Mm -hmm. to lose weight because everything else suffers. Like I have to maintain a certain caloric intake for me to function mentally, um, for my thyroid to function well and for me to feel good from an energy perspective. Mm -hmm. Because if I drop my calories, I would say even below 1,700 the ripple effects biochemically for me are not worth yep. it. And I've done that to myself in the past. I really have to, you know, I really have to almost sit like between to lose weight less than 2000, but no, sorry, less around 2000, but never less than 1800. Yep. My maintenance calories for how much I exercise like now currently, sorry, cause I've just all reworked this out. It was different, you know, a couple months ago, but you know, is around 2,200 mm-hmm. for me. So I don't have the luxury of, you know, what a lot of fitness people do to their clients of going, okay, well, we'll just drop your calories by 400 yep. a week and you'll lose or 500 a week and you'll lose half a kilo a week. I don't have the luxury of that. A lot of people don't have the luxury of mm. that because the other systemic effects for me are too extreme. Exactly. Like, yeah, you know, for sure. So, so it's but even that alone, like, I just want to really highlight like three kilos, three to three to four kilos over a nine month period. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been working at. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when people say I didn't lose weight in the first 12 yeah. weeks or I didn't, yeah. it's, a, it's a slow burn, yeah. like, you know, anyway, um, so that's tied in with my weight dialing up. So anyway, so yeah, getting my BMI, but more so just the weight, my weight distribution is probably the better way to say it. Cause I definitely was a little bit more, you know, carrying weight in that more oxidative place of my body, which is that, you know, my sister calls it, me and my sister call it the front hump. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> so if anyone wants to adopt that term. <laughs> so PC. <laughs> The front hump. <laughs> That's what we call it. Because um, she's, she, her and I are very biochemical, like very, very physiologically, sorry, similar. And we both gain weight in those mm. areas when we're not looking after ourselves. We're both stressed. Like, you know, if there's too much alcohol, um, you know, which definitely for her that will happen, like especially when she's been drinking, you know, anyway. So it's something that we both deal with and we work on. So it's taken me eight months just to redistribute mm. that body fat. Loses only a couple of kilos, but already like, you know, Anyway, so that was something massive that I had to work on as well. And then supplements. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm not going to say specifically what I did, obviously, because I don't want people to go and go, I'm just going to do take all the supplements, but I went high dose antioxidant. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I probably could have gone higher, let's be honest, but I just bought in like antioxidants that I wasn't currently using, essential fatty acids, kept going with my mainstream liver stuff, but then obviously made myself up a compound, mm-hmm. which we all know we do in the clinic. Um, that was, um, you know, obviously stuff that supports the 4-hydroxy detox and my glutathione as well. So I did all of that. Yeah. And how, over and over, yeah. And what would be, I know you just said about nine months with the, the weight loss. Nine months with all, the weight but loss. But what would be the time frame of starting all of that till like when I guess you're you're taking it right up until you did the retest I'm guessing well really it's taking it's not like you stopped like you're still doing these things but yeah what would be the time frame the time frame was um that was done early March and then I retested gosh it wasn't eight weeks later I think it was 12 weeks later okay yeah so I, I did a really quick retest because yeah. obviously I was quite stressed yeah. about it I wanted yeah, rightly more so. than anything I wanted to see that fucking eight hydroxy marker yeah kicked back into its little corner so I think like you know me being and you'll you'd be the same with this like obviously from an objective point of view I didn't retest with the humor mm-hmm. I retested with the Dutch mm-hmm. purely because for financial reasons like as any of our clients know, anyone doing their own health stuff, like <laughs> this stuff is not cheap. Yeah. Um, so I retested with the Dutch test because it is cheaper and I'm going to go back and do a humor, but I retested at the three month mark with a Dutch um, to have a look. And it was a, the anxiety of getting this oh. test back, right? was fucking insane. Yeah. Um, but I am so happy to report (laughs) (laughs) that my 80HDG marker on the Dutch test, so on the HUMAP test, it was, I think, 8.67, I said before or something, and then the Dutch test had gone back within range down to 3.2. So So not even... So not even high normal no, on a Dutch test no. back into complete where we wouldn't even be stressed about it. And my 4-hydroxy, well, my estrogen in general actually, um, much, much healthier. So that 4-hydroxy, I probably dropped my estrogen a little bit too low, but that's all right. Um, were you, it'll, bounce, it'll bounce back. Were you on um, quite high dose? I don't really want to mention supplements like we said, but were you on anything yeah, really high dose yes. to drop the estrogen? No, look, I didn't do anything higher dose than what I would give any okay. of my clients. Yep, yep. So I just, I literally went in with my standard dose. Um, but yeah, I probably, yeah, I just probably just did maybe a little, I did do it for a whole three yep. months before I retested, yep. which I n- wouldn't normally do with my clients. Like with that sort of yeah. hydroxy detox, I'd do two months max usually and have yep. a break unless they're testing really warranted. Or I would go and do eight weeks rejig their compound and put some of those those things at a lower dose yeah. and give them another two months. Yeah. So yeah, so I probably did push the envelope a little yeah. bit more. As we do when it's ourselves. Yeah. When it's ourselves, right? Just yeah, just with the duration of yeah. So so the thing that's worth noting is my liver is my detox is the issue. Um, so even with all of that stuff mm. in play, I still have really sluggish phase two across every test I've ever wow. done. My phase two detox and potentially my gut, but um, my phase two detox is the issue for sure. So um, sorry, so like did the obviously- did the distribution of your four hydroxy to your two hydroxy and sixteen? Did that look all like hunky dory? But it was more phase two that 
is the consistent. Yeah, yeah. so this sec- even with this yeah. retest, you're like, nope, four hydroxy is looking sweet. Happy with my two where four. my two's nice and robust, but it's more that. Well, no. Yeah, yeah, no. So four hydroxy, sixteen hydroxy, fine. Yep. Um, like healthy, but my two hydroxy definitely banked up because my phase two is so sluggish. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, so it's definitely I definitely managed to push it all in the direction it needs to go, but my phase two is still really struggling with it. Right. Like so definitely two hydroxy probably higher than it should be, yep. but at least not but at least higher and four hydroxy and sixteen hydroxy in check. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, but still a low, you know, low methyl activity of that methyl oxy 2OH. So, yeah, definitely like I know I need to go and do a genetic panel, but I, without a doubt, I'm pretty sure the things I have snips on. Yeah. Does it ever, (laughs) does it ever change? Like, do you ever see with these tests, like it's just always, yeah, it doesn't seem to budge? Or I've, interesting. No, it never budges. I've always got phase two detox issues. So like, you know, I could have yeah, like a NTHFR variant. I think I actually do. I think I've tested that. Somewhere well, that was one of my questions with all of this, whether there were, I don't think you did. I think we talked about it, but doing, mm. um, yeah, like had you done like a just I genetic need- panel? Cause I know that one of the labs we use, mm. I think I asked you, well, cause we're talking about it for a client. Mm. I was looking at it for where it just actually does your more of your like hormone there's, I'm yeah, sure there's like a, do. there's actually like an estrogen panel there that you is, can get yeah. done, but you haven't done that at this point. I haven't done it at this point. Yeah. I feel like with my knowledge of the how in depth my brain knows the Dutch test, yeah. I'm really confident I know what I have SNPs on yeah. purely because I, I understand these metabolites so well. Yeah. But again, a hundred percent, like it's something I'm going to do. Yeah. Like I want to go in. I also now based on two, just that 8-O-H-D-G marker, I want to understand my um, interleukin snips. Um, so okay. interleukin yeah. and, you know, just my, you know, inflammatory yeah. versus pro-inflammatory, yeah. you know, cytokine snips and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause maybe I'm sitting here blaming my liver, yeah. but maybe I've got snips in other areas as well, which, you know, will push me in terms of long-term supplementation health mm. and general health but also to like understanding my inherent you know strengths and weaknesses maybe it's not just my liver like at the moment the dutch just really alludes to phase one phase two detox yeah. issues um exactly. for sure but then but there's that thing too you- like as even as practitioners when we're treating ourselves like it's it's hard not to get lost. It's one, it's hard to not get lost in your own weeds, but also like you can know, I think you know too much. So you can make, um, like in generally your assumptions about what are going on in your own body are right, but also you can get yeah. stuck in your own box. And I, I know I've experienced that where I've like thought, no, this is what's going on. And then I've tested and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. was actually part of what was going on. And like, I've been hammering yeah. cause I'm like so sure it's this, this and this, which it often is, but yeah, that's, that's where it would be really yeah. interesting to see you. Like, even with you just mentioning then about those inflammatory snips, like, yeah, yeah, 100%. really, really interesting. I definitely, yeah. Like it's definitely the next one on the cards and two, mm. because I feel like I love the genetic space so much. Yeah. It's a package that I even want to pop together next year. Um, it's just finding, you know, yeah, the right genetic test. But um, there is uh, estrogen detox genetic test. So you've used it for a heap yeah, of clients. Yep. 
that can't do a Dutch test um, through through research nutrition. Um, so it, it goes, it does your Compton, your methylation, but then it goes on and does a whole, or your CYP, like your 1A1s, 3A4s, 1B1. So all of those yeah. phase ones, if you've got SNPs on those, that will impact your estrogen detox. It does your NTRRs, your... Anyway, there's like, I think there's about 16, you know, genes and SNPs, SNPs on these genes that if you have those can really influence how well your body deals with, you know, estrogen, but not just estrogen, like everything, like Mm. everything else that, you know, it goes down those pathways as well. And another thing that I'm really excited about that is not out yet, but it is on the cards is the next thing is um, we actually have on the way a breast cancer risk genetic screen coming. So again, talking through our own lab yeah. so it's not a um it's not a BRCA one and I think this is where I'll we'll do a podcast on genetics one day and I'll explain the difference mm. between like nutrigenomics and the level that I work out with genes mm. versus you know like medical genetics mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that like when that's what you're talking about you know BRCA ones or a gene that will give someone Huntington's yeah. disease or yeah. something like that like this is there's separate areas and I think you know to mainstream listeners it all sounds very confusing, yeah. but I assure you the nutrigenomic space that you know I'm talking about with you know your liver detox and your inflammatory markers is a very empowering and exciting yeah. space to understand um, because you actually have so much control over your health. Mm-hmm. And I think you know yeah. So anyway, so they're bringing out a panel not with the brackets, but more with your other ones. So everything that is that is involved or can be you know associated from a research perspective with breast cancer risk there's now a panel that will be coming that's out exciting. similar to the auto yeah similar to the autoimmune panel they bought that's out recently, right that's right yeah so so yeah so that's kind of where we sit so how did you um, so feel Rissy like again you did this retest <laughs> besides the obvious of how you felt mentally and emotionally getting that test like over the months yeah. so that that retest was basically three months later um how were you physically feeling then? Were you feeling any different? And then even now, like, as again, it's not like you've stopped mm. that. Like, do you, do you in hindsight no. look back to where you were when you first started this and go, shit, I thought I felt good, but I actually fundamentally do feel better? And if so, what have you noticed? Um, look, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely feel better. Um, I, I, it's hard to say because I feel like I felt pretty good. Yeah, anyway. that's why I ask. Um, yeah, I definitely, yeah, there's, it's probably a bit of a loaded question because we've had so much going on behind the scenes from a family perspective mm. with a lot of this with my aunt and stuff as well. She actually passed away the morning I got my Dutch results back. That's so horrific. I'm it's horrific yeah I hadn't actually that's why it took me so long to actually be able to come and talk about this on a podcast because it's such an emotionally loaded space for me at the moment and still is so the morning that I actually got this Dutch test back I literally had a phone call from my mum saying my aunt had passed that night and then I got off that phone I was obviously upset and then I opened up my work emails and my emails and my Dutch test was sitting there so the anxiety of opening up that fucking test on that morning was something else (laughs) so like yeah so I think it's it's a hard one for me to say whether or not I feel better because I feel like there's been and again I have to acknowledge the stress Mm. behind the scenes Mm. of doing testing when you're super stressed even that HUMAP test and we've had some other family stuff going on as well um, which is not a topic for a podcast conversation but I just think 
it's hard it's a hard question for me to answer because behind the scenes mm. I've been dealing with a lot yeah so like I feel like from an emotional point of view the last eight months or even you know maybe 10 to 12 months of what my life have been really really big yeah. um, behind the scenes so again I, I'd love to say that I feel leaps yeah. and bounds better because I've done all of this work but I know what I'm actually up against yeah. from a stress point of view so it's hard to make that call I think I can 100% say I'm stoked that my results are better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my energy, I'm going to say my energy is amazing and I've really noticed a change just in that, um, just with, and I, I think it's just all of it, mm. like less coffee, less alcohol, um, more exercise. Mm, Again, I'm training at a level sense. that I haven't been able to physically train at for the last, you know, two and a half years so you know whether or not it's you know just all of those things clicking together and that's why I feel good from an energy perspective um yeah but it's it's a pretty loaded question (laughs) for me at the moment that I just I think there's so many fucking balls up in the air that I just yeah yeah, I can't say 100% what's worked and what hasn't but I know that the test results speak for themselves well and even what you just considering how much you've had going on and I just it's so amazing to hear you share that and be honest about what you've been going through as well because this is again what we see with clients and just life for people because you're you're looking to make change and positive change and and we're looking to compare like past to present but it's never that linear so you know when there's a lot going on but I'll often talk to people about like considering the amount of stress you've been under and what's going on like how how resilient you've been on top of that so for you for you to still have that notable impact in like feeling you can make the call about your energy levels being really good and the fact that you've Mm -hmm. been able to continue to exercise and move your body and get gains in that way like it it kind of speaks volumes to itself but yeah Mm -hmm. it's not like it's it's not this clear linear thing where you can go, mm. I was exactly the same at this point and life hasn't thrown stresses at me. And yeah, mm. I just think, I just think it's such a prime example. Um, yeah. And the te- as you said, also like the biggest indication is the test, like, which is fascinating because yeah. we'll also talk to clients, right. About like functional testing is so fantastic and amazing. But at the end of the day, the biggest most important aspect is you as a person and how you feel um but in some ways this is like how you feel is paramount but this is one of those circumstances where actually that test result was really fucking important important. really important (laughs) oh I think I cried when I opened it for so many reasons because I think I'd just been this ball of anxious stress about it like but also trying to hold it together for so many other reasons and not in, especially in you know our family space like trying to have open and honest conversations with my mom around breast cancer and breast cancer risk and what type of cancer my aunt had and you know and just but also to not make this about myself yeah. like that was really not, and not hard for me to do but at the same time I was going through this whole internal fucking battle with shit like but um, I couldn't put that onto anyone, mm. if that made sense. Mm. Like, you know, like I, you know, I talked to my mum about it, but obviously she's going through so much with, you know, her sister. Yeah. And I just, you know, I, and my mum's usually like kind of like my go-to person with a lot of medical stuff, even though we don't always see eye to eye because she's very mainstream and I'm more holistic. 
But, you know, and mum's very much like, would rather not know. I'm like, give me all the mm, fucking information mm. so I can work with it. So we do have very, you know, different opinion, but she's also my, you know, my my stronghold in, in this world. So, you know, usually when I am stressed about something or I'm going through something, like mum's the person that I'm talking to. So to not, mm. not wanting to put any of this onto her about how stressed I mm-hmm. was, Mick got to hear a lot yeah. But even for him, like he doesn't understand it. So, yeah. you know, like and I know I spoke to you about it yeah. and and yeah, and so I'm so I'm so lucky and thankful that I have like, you know, us in the clinic yeah. because I think, you know, that too understand too. that understand the reason why we do this testing, but also, you know, yeah, the, the whole pro- process of doing it and treating and, you know, retesting and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's um yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. But, um, I've definitely slacked off a few things, like just to give myself a bit of breathing space. Um, but I'm definitely in, I would say it was a good wake up call for me at the start of the mm. year to get a few fucking ducks in line. And I have really done that. So there's definitely a lot of things that have really carried through that I'm still pretty, mm. yeah, onto. And I'm keen to do another test. Like I haven't been on any sort of um, phase one support since I've done this test. Mm. So I've now had another three months off that. Um, I am keen to do a test and see what it looks like again so I'm just you know gonna do that but um I think the hardest thing for me at the moment is and you know when I you take snapshots of this you'll have a look but you'll notice that like my cortisol is still dialed up but I've got a lot there's it's just that stress yeah absolutely keep fucking working on oh look it's Um, I always say that to clients with that I that that page is like the most confront well (laughs) In your case, there's other confronting pages, but usually I'll say to clients, this is the most confronting page as far as like your life, you know, and yes, we can take supplements to work on supporting what's going on with your Mm. cortisol and how your adrenals are reacting Mm. and that HPA axis, but nothing will impact it as much as your lifestyle and what's going on in your life and how you change your life. And it's the hardest thing for people to do. And yeah, you you know that yourself let alone no I agree with you 100% yeah even with our clients and stuff like this is the lifestyle page like this is as practitioners this is where we have to give you back the reins and I had to take the reins myself and go there is yes there's supplements you can take to support stress yeah but fundamentally the it the buck stops with you as an individual and what you are doing to manage your stress and take your foot off the accelerator and look my picture in this space is still not perfect and that's the problem because it's also not that easy like there's some people where it is we would probably say well it is easy because it's all up to you as far as you're in the control seat but if you're in a situation like yourself where your major stress is coming externally to things going on in your family like you can't stop that um or like a a classic example might be someone like a um a a mum like a a newish mum that we I can think of someone this week that I just had Dutch results come back for and you know dealing with like a a one-year-old or like you know some a, a child under the age of two where they're still getting majorly disrupted sleep and it's like it's only it's not like they can just go and <laughs> just put the kid and lock them in a room to make sure that they get eight hours sleep and <laughs> yeah. put put their um mufflers on so they can't hear anything like it's there's, there's a point um that yeah there's only so much you can control so I think, yeah, even for yourself, there's got to be 
there's an element of you and what you're doing to help yourself. But there's also like a point where it's like, well, I can't control everyone around me. So what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly, it's exactly it. It's yeah. Bang on (laughs) basically. Um, So I guess my last questions, which I think you just touched on is like moving forward. um, Mm. What you plan to do as far as, yeah, with testing, like, is it something that you want to test certain amount of times a year or like once a year? Yeah. I'm guessing there's a plan around that. And also you also mentioned about where you're at now and what you're keeping up. Like, does it feel like you've made a shift as we see clients doing? It's just like, no, this is how I live my life now. Yeah, hundred percent. There's definitely some more non, like more strict and non-negotiables for me now. Um, with around certain things, um, definitely. And I think like I, it's interesting because I've it's that I've worked in this space with clients with breast cancer and ovarian cancer risk. So now, and the things that I've been telling them to do and mm. advocating for, I'm now obviously advocating for myself. I will 100% be doing at least Dutch test a year mm. or Humap test a year mm. to keep an eye on things um, and then obviously maintaining some of the non-negotiables and just that baseline support. I'm going to go on and do some genet- more genetic testing as well. I think the thing that I really would love to see change in this space though is, you know, and this is what I feel like is the frustrating thing for me and several other women um, or just, and it probably just should be for fucking women in general. Mm. It should be frustrating because our our healthcare system really doesn't acknowledge um like it's starting to and it really depends on your gp but the more i understand and i feel like i've got a pretty fucking good understanding but the more i understand about estrogen and the way it behaves and the way it behaves in our perimenopause years which is that decade to 12 years leading into menopause i really think our mainstream system needs to be reframing our our preventative care system Mm. around the breast cancer and estrogen cancer space Mm -hmm. because we're not testing or even looking at testing until women are in their 50s. And unfortunately, I I believe that that's too late. Mm. Um, And for some women, it's not, don't get me wrong. They get an early, an early pickup if they're, you know, if they do have cancer or something like that if they're onto their mammograms and stuff but with what we understand about estrogen now and when she's at her craziness it's the decade leading into Mm. menopause so I feel like if you have a breast cancer or an estrogen cancer risk don't wait until you're fucking 50 to start getting the investigations done start having conversations with your GP in your late 30s and 40s because the majority of women I treat for post breast cancer care got breast cancer in their 40s some of them in their 30s and I think we're starting to see a lot more of that now and again I'm so thankful that I'm understanding my estrogen and hopefully I've done enough to prevent that space for myself but I will be getting mammograms literally it's on my fucking personal admin list to go back and speak to my doctor now because I'm 40 well not even 40 yet but 40 next year but I want to be getting mammograms Mm. from next year Mm -hmm. like I just want that to be now part of my preventative screening thing and you know I'm hoping my GP is going to be okay with that but I can't see any reason why she wouldn't be but if you're not in our space no one's having those conversations and that's what I find really 
you know, like the amount of clients that I know that um, when I'm doing their client intake stuff and like because I work so heavily in the hormone space, I'm asking them, do you have a breast cancer risk? In, do you have any cancer risk? Yeah. We've got heaps of cancer risk in our family beyond breast cancer, but do you have any cancer risk? Yes, what? And mm. if there is any sort of breast cancer risk in their medium immediate family, like, like kind of what we mentioned at the start, I'm, I'm having, and I know it's a bit of a shock, but I'm having those conversations mm. with them. I'm like, cool, who was it? What kind was it? Mm. Can you find out what kind it was? Um, let's now, you know, especially if they're coming to see me for hormonal health mm. or something, cool. Are you are you aware that you should probably be just be having a chat with your GP and getting mammograms from the mm. age of 40 and not waiting to your 50? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm not. Cool. Let's, let's make that part of your care plan yeah. from now on. So I really, 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 if anyone takes anything from yeah. this podcast, you have so much access to functional testing, but if you have an estrogen cancer risk in your family, you need to be just having those conversations and understanding your personal risk. Because if your alcohol is a massive personal risk, mm. you know, the more I've looked into alcohol and its relationship to estrogen, which I already knew, but I think I just had my blinkers on because we didn't have a breast cancer mm. risk in our family. Uh, if you, you know, alcohol is, is there's no safe level, no. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Which is, you know, a slap in the face for me because um, I love having a drink, as we said. But there's really, at the moment, there's no safe level of alcohol if you have a breast cancer mm. risk in your family. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I'm not drinking? No. But I've seriously had a massive, <laughs> you know, like a massive change. But, you know, that's one of my non-negotiables and I've got preventative things in place. But, you know, alcohol is a massive one. Weight is a huge mm. one. If you're, if you are carrying that weight that I've talked about, that oxidative stress weight as a female and you're in, and you've got estrogen detox issues and your insulin resistance, it changes your breast cancer mm-hmm. risk. We know this in research now. So it's, you know, it's not freaking out if you have a breast cancer risk, but it's understanding that from a preventative point of view, there's so much you can do if you understand your personal risk based on your genetic risk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a space that, you know, really, really, really needs more attention and more education for women because I think a lot of women, I've got clients, you know, in their 50s, you know, that have got breast cancer risk that have been having their, you know, 24 monthly mammograms and stuff but no one's talked to them about alcohol and no one's talked to them about you know healthy weight management and xenoestrogens like all of these other things that you know really should be part of the conversation as well Mm. so yeah yeah Yeah. wow no so man so true and but you're right (laughs) like it's just it's there's so many things there that you want to scream from the rooftop that you want women to ask for and feel empowered to ask for and talk to their GPs about because that's where like the most, the biggest percentage of people are going. Like it's a smaller percentage of people that are coming along to talk to people like ourselves. Um, And yeah, there's, and I feel like the only, not the only way, but the biggest way is always that change happens is by people taking action and that includes women like asking as you said like you're gonna go to gp and you're gonna ask just like this is what i need this is what i want done this is my health like i i have a i have a right to this this is my body this is my health (laughs) like let's get this done and being assertive um yeah 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 and i think like again as we always say if something doesn't feel right 
get an opinion. And if you're not happy, get a second opinion. And I think especially with breast health as well, because there's a lot of, you know, especially since mammograms have become a thing um, and a more regular thing for women, there's this whole, well, you're getting a mammogram every 12 to 24 months. Don't worry about self-breast checking. Do worry about self-breast checking. Do it. Know your body, know your boobs. If you've got fibrocystic rex tissue, like I do, and like a massive, you know, demographic of women doing a large percentage of my client base, get an ultrasound yeah. done. And if you, and you know, and if they are a bit confused or have that conversation with you or not confused, but you know, um, if they're like, Oh, look, you know, it seems okay at the moment. Don't worry about coming back there unless you notice any more changes, go back in 12 months and have another yeah. ultrasound, follow things That's up. It. Like it just re- Yeah. Like I just think we're in this space now where, yeah, like you just got to be that little bit more proactive with, you know, taking the reins with your health and having those really honest, open conversations with your GP. And it's not saying don't take no for an answer, but it's your health and they're your exactly. breasts and it's your body. <laughs> yeah. And offer you know? offer sometimes like if they're, they balk at certain things because it's like a, I don't know, like maybe I, I can just think of even things like with cost, you know, where it's like, well, this is, you're, you're entitled to, this this scan or this checkup like once a year or like you know every two years it's like well no I want to have this done every six months or I want to have this done every year like I'll pay to get this done I know that might be a like you know some people might be like well I can't afford to do that but there'd be a lot of people listening that can afford to do that um just may not Mm -hmm. think that they are entitled to ask um I can think of someone in my family that does that that's had um had dysplasic cells like from a pap smear um and then being told like with follow-up from that just like oh just you know as long as we do a pap smear once every two years just keep an eye on it and she was just like no that's not good enough like I want to have this done more regularly I don't want to wait two years in between so you know then you can go oh no it's happened again and it's progressed it's like no I will I'm coming like every year or every six months. I can't decide. I can't remember what she decided to do, but she took it on herself to make sure that she would do that more regularly and basically said to the doctor, this is what we're doing Um, (laughs) because it's her life and her health. Her her uterus. Her uterus, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it is, it's just finding that GP that is, you know, my GP, is really you know she's very mainstream and she knocks me back for a few things Mm -hmm. here and there um but honestly she has been amazing about this and all of that so like yeah I think it's just you know if you're not happy again just go and find another one yeah and someone that's you know gonna be on be on your team basically because this is a you know your future health is a pretty serious space (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you so much for sharing all of that hey like I mean, I, there's, there's a lot I obviously already knew, but just hearing you just tell that story from start to where you are at now, are at now. And even just a few things in there that I wasn't aware of, like, yeah, I just think it's so, it's so empowering for, for women to be listening to. Like I, I, just cannot imagine how much women will get from this um, or even males in relation to females in their life. Um, and then mm. just again, like getting an understanding of how useful and powerful these tools that we have are from obviously the testing element, but also all of the things, all of the tools and the toolbox boxes you said that you have used yourself, 
um, and what that can lead to. And they may all seem in some ways, I think this is something we talk about with clients, that they might seem like small little things, but how there's that accumulation and that additive effect. Mm. Um, I just think, yeah, it's obviously really, really inspiring. And it's, yeah, again, for you to open up and share that, like, just thank you because it's not easy (laughs) to just be vulnerable and put everything out on the table. (laughs) So thank you from me and thank you to from all of the listeners, I'm sure. So welcome. (laughs) I hope, yeah, I just hope everyone gets a few good takeaways from it. I'm sure you guys will. Like there's a lot in there. (laughs) Now, did you want to finish off as we do? with some recommendations yeah <laughs> on the spot damn it this one i'm actually stunned uh, well you, you have to any? think about it i feel like i've got i was like oh i want to recommend this and i want to recommend that i'm going to do two so maybe you could do I'll, two. I'll just, oh okay yeah i'll just do the two well one is like a, a shameless like plug um which is I think by the time this podcast goes live, it will be live on the website, is a new bread recipe. Um, It's called the best gluten-free bread recipe, which, you know, I had a little bit of a debate in this household about that title. And I'm like, no, no, that's what it's being called because it is the best. So if you, it is the best. best. If you want a gluten-free bread that actually is like a bread, because a lot of the gluten-free breads on the website are more of like a loaf bread, which I love like the gut friendly bread is like an institution, but they are more loafy breads. This one's more like an, a bread bread that um, almost looks a bit sourdoughy, but it's not. Uh, you can slice it really well. Like you could use it for sandwiches. It's a lighter finish. Yeah. Krista was saying earlier, it looks like a rye. Like it, it, it almost, I would say is like kind of imagine like a rye sourdough, but it's not sourdough. Mm. So check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. The other I want to recommend is, oh, there's like two others. No, Jessica, just pick one. I'm going to go, I'm going to go TV show. I'll leave the other one. So we've just started watching on Apple TV, a documentary on the supermodels. It's literally called the supermodels. I think I'm sure it is. (laughs) Um, But basically it's about (laughs) um, the eighties. And all about the rise of Cindy Crawford, um, Linda Evangelista, Christy, Linda. Oh, Naomi, Naomi Campbell. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah, those four. It's those four okay. supermodels. Um, and it's basically following them from their rise. They've got really, really early footage and photos, which is amazing because we're talking like late 70s into early 80s and following their rise into modeling and how the phenomenon of the supermodel happened. And then interestingly, like once they were kind of like at the top of their game and became a powerhouse and people in fashion were like, wow, these women actually have power now, how they essentially the fashion industry starts to turn on them and try well and successfully really to a point, like pull them back down again because they didn't really like the fact that these women, surprise, surprise, <laughs> women in the 80s, like having mm-hmm. power, like bad. So just trying to pull that power away, but how they also took, it became about them more than about 
the fashion label, you know, like it wasn't like, oh, this is like the new collection from Chanel coming down the runway. It was like, oh, you know, firstly, here comes Christy Turlington in that, that that's what's more important. But it's, we're like three episodes in and it is so amazing. Like if you, I feel like if you're of a certain generation, I, I don't know now, like mm. if you're someone that's like, who the hell is Jessica even talking about? But like, if you were a child of the 80s or even of the 90s, mm. you know these names. And I just think mm. it's a really amazing documentary, but it's a really important one about women and just about like, as always, just the way women have been looked at objectified but also how women have used their power in a really positive way but then how society turns on them so yeah obviously nothing to do with nutrition but a really amazing documentary on apple tv so that would be mine it's really good Yeah, that sound. The first one you're like supermodels, I was like eye roll. No, it's so <laughs> But then the way you explained yeah. it, I was like, oh, this does sound good. Um, I like just thinking totally off topic, but while you were saying that, it made me think of if I did have a recommendation, um, it's I read Matthew McConaughey's autobiography. Oh, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, and it was just a really nice read. Like um, I'm, I'm an autobiography junkie. Like I just, I'm obsessed with reading about. It. I love people's lives, and I love what they go through, and why they make decisions, and their perceptions, and what paths they choose because of that. And anyway, um, I actually bought it for Mick for his fiftieth because he wrote it when he was fifty. Um, but yeah, it's it was actually a really, it was a nice, it was a really good book to read. Um, easy to read. Um, not Hollywood like glamorized in any way. I didn't think it was just it, you kind of hear him, and apparently he does do this on um, Audible. He actually narrates his own book, so you bet you actually uh, hear his voice, <laughs> which is like it. nice bonus. Uh, which is a nice bonus because <laughs> his voice is sexy. Um, but I literally powered through it really quickly. Um, so that would be yeah. If anyone sees that, it's cheap as chips in a bookshop. Yeah, um, it's a nice, nice little, nice little read. Um, but yeah, but I'm interested. I don't have Apple TV. Oh, Damn don't it. you? I don't know if no, it's on I Binge I... or anything. It's I'm pretty sure at the moment it's on Apple. Yeah, yeah okay. even when you just saying like how you love like that concept of people's lives and the choices mm. that they make and the decisions that they make and how that leads to obviously different life events. This documentary is mm. very much about that, like just some of yeah. the things, some Stop. of the decisions that they make and the yeah, there was even this, I don't know if you remember, there was a Wham! video clip back in the 80s, late 80s, and I can't think of the name of the song, but basically he did the video clip where he had those four supermodels, before they were supermodels, right on the cusp. They actually were the people in the video clip and they mimed, like it would cut from one woman to the other and they were like my miming the whole song so he wasn't in it at all um it was all just these women um I should link obviously if I can find it I'll link it in the show notes like it's iconic and it is basically the turning point of what took them from being like these really sought after models to supermodels um was this song and then taking that song after they did it and playing it as the four of them walked down the catwalk together it was just like they became 
iconic from that moment. I feel like I can picture it in my head from the rage days. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It like, was big. Yeah, I, I feel like it, but I can't, yeah, I can't think. I can picture it now that you said who the supermodels are too. Yeah. I can, yeah, but I can't think of the song. But I feel like I can picture the film clip if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always find it so interesting with this kind of stuff and probably the same reason I love autobiographies, especially of famous people. <laughs> is because what, again, the media portrays and, you know, now we have social media versus what actually happens from their perspective, I always find so, so interesting to read. Like I think that's obviously, you know, Matthew McConaughey's autobiography being one, but I've read so many, you know, autobiographies of like rock and roll stars Mm -hmm. and, you know, different people like just their version of events versus the public image that most people you know, believe the narrative of and feed into. And, yeah, and I think that's, you know, but also too I love, you know, autobiographies of people that no one's even heard of. So, you know, but, but yeah, that would be interesting for those girls because, of course, we've all grown up knowing them. Mm. Well, we have maybe not so much the younger generation, but they definitely know who they are. But just that whole, you know, what you believe them to be. I remember, like, I remember in the, was it the 90s or even late 90s, there was so much, like, what was, there was so much scandalous stuff around was it Naomi Campbell as well? And I remember her doing something really stepping into her power as a female, but there was a lot of backlash as well. It's something I can't even remember. Well, she remember, like, she really magazines. And- she got labelled as basically being difficult and like you know a bitch in quotation marks and like hard mm. to work with. But they talk. They actually just have talked about this recently because she she basically just stood up for herself and asserted yeah. herself against someone in the industry, not in a bad way, because yeah. they were trying to do something that was like exploiting her and because she mm. stood up for herself he basically went to the media and portrayed this so, picture yeah. of her of being difficult and it all snowballed from there and she became known as this like mm. um yeah yes. this is classic classic like bitch mentality that women were labeled as um yeah. And I remember watching an interview with her about that back in the day. I can't even remember what the interview was on, but it was her side of the story. And it's exactly what you just said. Like she, she's like, yeah. And it was, yeah. Yeah. I, rem- I kind of, I remember something around that. And it was, I mean, I remember thinking like, she hasn't done anything wrong. This is the fucking media as usual. Yeah. And so, yeah. But in, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That would be really interesting yeah, to watch. So good. Behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Meaty. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show today. And as we always say, please share this in your socials. Um, Again, to go back to the topic, Chris has shared so much, so much valuable information. So we would love you to share it. Um, And also, as always, we would love you just to take the time to head to iTunes and leave us a review, even just hit the five stars. It helps people find us. But other than that, as we always say, thank you. You're amazing. Do we always say that? Today we're saying that. You're amazing. Today we're saying it. You're amazing. Thanks for listening Thanks for to listening. Us. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.